get into the theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. Well, welcome everyone to the spoiler room. Venture down the stairs, pulling up a chair, and uh, sitting with us as we talk movies. And tonight, we are kicking off a new month. I, again, folks, I did not plan on having a theme every month, but these things just pop into my head and it was just natural so may is the other chuck month yes that's right it's the other chuck month because we will be talking about charles bronson but not all charles bronson films just a certain series of charles bronson films because i'm a completionist and a masochist and many other ists things so <laughs> tonight though we kick it off with a not canon film it is from Dino De Laurentiis, and it is Death Wish from 1974. And tonight in the spoiler room, I have a wonderful crew assembled with me. He is back with us from Parts Unknown. The man has come back from a long journey to join us tonight. It is none other than the BFD himself, Mr. Glenn. Hello, Glenn. How are you, sir? Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Good, good to be here. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> as long as you're a, a, a first time listener, long time caller, then that's just that's just awkward. <laughs> that's just. Uh, and uh, yes, so glad you could join us. And of course, next to me, my right hand man and co-host of the Spoiler Room, the man who is, uh, for some reason, a glutton for punishment or something, keeps coming back for more. It is none other than Mr. Ian Simmons. Hello, Ian. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Glad to. I'm doing, I'm, I want to tell you how great I'm doing, Mark. How great are you doing? Uh, three years ago now, just about, yeah. I actually did a podcast about Death Wish when the Bruce Willis remake came out and I watched the Charles Bronson Death Wish for the first time and I talked about it. Uh -huh. I don't like repeating myself, but I love the spoiler room so much that I thought, I'm going to watch Death Wish again. I'm going to talk about it again. I'm very excited <laughs> for this conversation. Well, it is an honor and I, I appreciate you taking one for the team and watching it again and, and <laughs> discussing it again online. Uh, because yeah, it's going to be, I think, a very interesting conversation this evening. So, uh, without further ado, Mr. Glenn Bittner, please give us the synopsis of Death Wish. Oh boy. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> mild mannered, uh, New York architect and apparent crack shot Paul Kersey, um, <laughs> loses his shit after, uh, intruders, magically know his exact apartment number to break in um, and what they murder his wife and mess up his daughter. Um, he then goes on a massive killing spree, which is pretty easy because apparently in 1974, 80% of New York is muggers. Yeah. And the rest is nuns. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and one, and one cop played by big Lou Kritsky. Yes. Um, and he just goes around killing a bunch of people until the cops basically say, you know, hey, knock it off, wink, wink. Go away. <laughs> Take it elsewhere, wink, wink. And Jeff Goldblum. And 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 Denzel Washington. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Where was Denzel right. Washington in this movie? He, he was one of the muggers that get uh, one of the victims. Uh, that gets shot. I think he's one of the guys that gets shot in the alley, if I remember correctly. Really? Yeah, either in this one, or is it, the, or is he not until two? No, he's in this one. No. Yeah. Um, I forget. I don't know. He says he says he wasn't. Yeah, and a lot of people say he was. So it's debated. 
on it's, whether it's that possible. It is. I would take Denzel's word for it, uh -huh. and everyone else who says he was is just racist because they think everybody looks the same. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. I was just I was just going off of a couple articles, so I may very well be wrong. Now, I think uh, it was was it Boom Boom Washington was the guy from uh, Welcome Back Cotter. There was yeah Boom Boom. Yeah, Washington. he was he was one of the muggers. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. So maybe they're getting their Washington mixed up, which they, you know, they, again racism. again it is racism. Uh, but I did recognize boom, boom. him in here. Boom, boom. Uh, which, you know, I just we just dive right into this movie because, yeah, I it's it's interesting <laughs> watching this again because I haven't watched it in ages um, because, you know, this type of the films, I just, you know, I like urban crime. OK, but this one, I forgot that there was greasy Jeff Goldblum in this. Man, is he, he's slimy, but, uh, yeah, the whole theme of vigilantism in 1974, um, let's see, uh, what a taxi driver wouldn't be out for another two years. Mm -hmm. Um, but this was kind of a trend in, in some of these urban films. I mean, was crime really that bad in the seventies? Oh yeah. I mean, New York, in, in New York it was, it was really bad. Yeah. yeah New York city was a hellhole. Mm-hmm. So maybe, I mean, I, that, this is one of those movies where I, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but especially on my second watch uh, last night and this morning, it was just glaringly obvious. This is one of those things where they use statistics and newspaper headlines as dialogue. Uh, mm. And also, like every other scene, someone's reading a newspaper that's right in front of the camera as the scene opens and they snap it closed. You know, it's like <laughs> crime rising in New York. <laughs> Or they're passing by a billboard that's like the cover of Newsweek, like crime on the rise, vigilantism, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. So the environment is telling as much of a story as the, you know, the actors. Which is great, too, because with how rampant crime was, the fact that some muggers got shot somehow makes front page news. <laughs> well, I think I think that was the idea was that someone was finally fighting back. Yeah. You know, but but then again, how they were able to distinguish uh because they're all dead i guess it was because it was the same caliber bullet they're all being mm -hmm. killed with because yeah you're kind of right if it's a bunch of like hoods killing themselves in the street or dying like how do you know it's just not inter-gang crime or like muggers trying to mug each other or something other than as aside from someone trying to take them out yeah it, it, there is an assumption made i mean there there's some holes to fill uh not just <laughs> plenty the, of holes not, to fill not just not just the ones that old uh chuck chuck bronson uh puts in people um what i found interesting for revenge films normally the revenge the guy seeking revenge is seeking out the ones who did the crime mm -hmm. but Apparently, Kersey doesn't give a shit about who it is. He just wants to take out muggers in the hopes of maybe that one of these guys he's killing is one of the guys that attacked his wife. I mean, he doesn't seem to really care of finding out who actually did the crime. He's just going to go out and blow some people away. You know? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there because they're you get the sense that he gets the sense from the cops that there's no, especially because his daughter who was in a vegetative state after the trauma of being, you know, sexually mm -hmm. assaulted and, and her mom dying in, right next to her, uh, she can't or won't identify the muggers by looking at right. those, those, those books. And so the cops are like, we're never going to find these guys They're, They didn't leave any prints. There's no way to really tell. Cause you know, we've got a million crimes going on in the city. So, I think that's one of the things that's fascinating about this film and makes it unlike a lot of other movies of its kind that I've seen is it doesn't have that tidy resolution. I remember from the remake with Bruce Willis, which I kind of liked, but for different reasons that gets more into like the guy pulling the strings on a lot of the mm -hmm. crime that ended up killing the family was actually his brother-in-law or something like that. It was Vincent D'Onofrio. I'm like, whatever this movie is much closer to real life in terms of the randomness. Mm -hmm. Like if he goes out on a killing spree, he doesn't necessarily want to get that revenge. He's striking out at the system that allowed that to happen to his wife. So I, I like the untidiness. I didn't care for, and especially because of a lot of the, the headlines we're seeing uh, today, I had forgotten 
that when he goes and starts shooting people, he might shoot people, pull a knife or a gun on him, but then he goes in for the kill. It's not that mm -hmm. he shoots him that he he'll shoot someone in the side and that's enough to, you know, possibly kill them or at least make sure that they're not going to be out on the streets again, but he'll go up and just like shoot him, you know, plug him but, a couple of times. He'll murder them. Well, you, you don't want someone to identify you. I mean, you know, that yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, the identification that that's where this movie gets a little fuzzy because it's like he doesn't want to get caught. He always flees the scene, but the killing people seems and maybe it's because we don't have a voiceover. He's not talking to anybody about what he's doing. It's all inside his head and we're not in there with him. So I don't know how much of that is to protect his own identity versus him just being like. I'm going to clean up the streets and that includes leaving no specks of dirt in my wake. <laughs> what do you think Glenn? Or, did, did he just become a cold blooded killer? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he's lucky in the fact that every single person he murders in this has an extensive criminal record. <laughs> and it wasn't some guy who was like, you know, he just fell in with the wrong crowd and he made a one-time mistake. Now these guys all have criminal records. So, mm -hmm. yeah. um, to just, you know, I guess to emphasize the fact that, you know, this is the only way to fix the problem is because the justice system isn't working. And then the fact is, as Ian mentioned, like, you know, his daughter can't or won't. It's got to be can't because there's no way that she or uh, sorry, uh, won't because there's no way she can't identify Jeff Goldblum. If he has a criminal record and his picture's in a mugshot, there's no way you're going to go like, <laughs> I don't know if it's him or not. I mean, come on. <laughs> Come right. On. Well, I mean, it's it's the won't, but it's also the can't because she's, as the doctors say, she's gone yeah, so she's, far into herself that, yeah, they don't. I think part of it they don't want to trigger or re-traumatize her by like giving the the clockwork orange eye treatment and like putting the book in front of her face, like <laughs> look at these pictures, <laughs> which which to me just seems so not like nineteen seventies. <laughs> be like. Hey, you know, I just look, look, come on, look at the pictures. I mean, it's like every other cop movie. I mean, they're like kicking indoors of people who are like in surgery going, just tell them, point them here. <laughs> Yeah, the guy's not even out of surgery yet. Here, just point them, point to him. I know you can't talk right now because your mouth is wired shut, but you can point or blink. I'll point <laughs> and you blink. Uh, yeah, and they don't make any effort towards that, but that's only because, you know, I think uh, her husband is just wants to commit her and not deal with her anymore. That asshole. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, not asshole, but I mean, he just he really doesn't seem to make. I don't know. It's, it's tough. It, that's that's a weird character. Um, yeah. Is it Jack? I think his name yeah. is um, because I kept it kept taking me out of the movie. And I was constantly thrown, even though this is the second time I've seen it. He keeps calling Charles Bronson dad. dad. Now that's his son-in-law. Mm -hmm. Carol, the, the rape victim was his daughter, but you got this sheepish wishy-washy kid following him around saying, but dad, and I'm like, what? Actually, that's <laughs> wait. <laughs> I no, think, that's not that's not his kid. That's his daughter's no. husband and all this. Other, but yeah. but that's old school. I mean, that's that's a bit old school. I actually remember, you know, uh, not my mom, but uh, I've seen relatives refer to, you know, the in-law referring to the uh, parent of their significant other by dad or mom rather than by their name. Not often, but sure. I mean, it's it's a little old school, but. I, and I, I understand that. I've done that, too. But the, the problem is it's such a crutch in this movie oh, yeah. that he never refers to him as Paul. It's mm -hmm. always dad in the way that you you wouldn't even refer to your own parents that often by, <laughs> by addressing them. It's like, but dad, she won't look at the photos. But dad, can you come to the hospital? But dad, it's like <laughs> you can take a shot every time he says dad and you'll be drunk before the first killing happens. <laughs> A new drinking game for Death Wish. Take a shot every time he says dad. Death Swish. I'm, I'm pretty sure Paul was drinking a lot, too, because for someone who had his wife murdered, his daughter raped, and is on a vengeance quest, he smiles way too fucking much. Oh, yeah. Well, when, when he does choose to smile, otherwise, you know, uh, I, I think that's part of the issue with his character is that... It, there's like one spot where he actually, I think, kind of shows emotion. And it's later on when they show the photos of their trip because the movie opens with them on a trip and he gets the photos. And I was like, wait, did 
did Charles Bronson actually show an emotion? Because <laughs> I'm sorry, but when he is the uh, the loving husband and his wife is dead, he, his face kind of twitches a little, but he's just like, and the camera actually has to move to try to give some emotion to it because Charles Bronson is just like, well, no, he's in the, in the hospital when he gets the news. I blame that on, on the director, uh, yeah. Michael Winner. I mean, I think overall this movie is pretty well directed, but that particular shot, they need to pull back. Right. Because you're right. I, I actually had to go back because I thought my eyes <laughs> were trying, playing tricks on me. You can see that his face is quivering and that his body is uh, shaking. It's just way too tight on his face. You're not exactly sure. There's more going on with his body than in his face. But, I think if it had pulled back to like a medium shot, it would have been more uh, impactful. You could say that he's in shock but you also get the sense that he's just this kind of a detached just guy based on <laughs> he describes his upbringing like the weird relationship that his parents had I'm like, yeah, i'd be kind of fucked up too let's not forget his trip uh after the initial attack and stuff he decides to go on a trip out to uh the grandfather of one of north's possible parents um no just kidding <laughs> They should have gotten Dan Aykroyd to be in that Bruce Willis remake as Ames Jane, Jane Chill. As the Southern boy who, uh, you know, it's a weird, it's a weird way to present the fact that our mild manner architect is actually a Korean war vet who knows how to handle many weapons apparently and can shoot very well. Because he, they sent him on a trip, which kind of makes sense. They want him to get away from New York. But while he's there, he he meets, you know, uh, Wild Bill. And, <laughs> and just this was just a weird way to, I think, introduce the fact that, though fitting because he's in the South, no offense to anyone, just simple fact where guns are rather prevalent, uh, that he he's proficient with a gun. Uh, Glenn, does this seem a little bit out of the blue? Like all of a sudden, oh, look, hey, by the way, uh, <laughs> he knows how to. I mean, at least they give something to it as opposed yeah. to him just. I mean, if they never show this, then all of a sudden he's just an architect who suddenly is just amazing with a gun. What? <laughs> because, like, well, I'm an architect. I studied engineering, so I can factor out vectors and velocity. <laughs> and I know how to do the science, so that's why I'm such a good shot. <laughs> suddenly it's like equilibrium and he comes flying in and figuring out the math of gunshot anyway yeah, now if we uh, had that thing, yeah. if him him sitting in his drawing board picked like a picture of mugger and then doing like a getting the protractor <laughs> out, measuring angles and stuff that'd be awesome <laughs> can you move uh 90 degrees <laughs> Death measure, uh, you know. <laughs> just... All right, let's see. Twice, kill once. <laughs> That's the tagline at the bottom. Death measure. All right, we're done here. There, we're done. Yeah. Copyright spoiler room. There you go. <laughs> That's the next. That's the spinoff. Death measure. <laughs> measure twice, kill once. Uh, <laughs> from Canon Group Films. Uh, but. <laughs> That's beautiful. It, that is that that is quite beautiful. So we've got our guy Kersey, who again, he seems more just he's bent on killing any mugger out there. Uh, and I just I didn't know how to feel about this because, on one hand, it's like you said, you know, he's he's trying to clean up the streets, but it's just like you said, Glenn. It, it you know, it's like this guy's just. I don't know where to feel about Kersey at all. I, I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, is am I supposed to be rooting for him? Is this a satire? Is this, you know, what what are we trying to tell the audience? Go ahead and grab your guns from the south and and you know go shoot up the the neighborhood. <laughs> Or knitting needles. Or knitting needles. <laughs> a hair, a hair needle. I love yeah, that lady. Hair needle, yeah. Hair needle, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, you know, it's it seems. You know, oh, this is the seventies. It wasn't even the the good old Reagan eighties, but right. You know, crime was rampant, and mm -hmm. I feel like this is sort of a, you know, it's a revenge fantasy, not just for the character, sure. but also kind of a catharsis for the audience. Right. Um, 
I don't know that it was meant to for people to go out and take up arms, but it was a matter of, you know, kind of escapism as, mm -hmm. as odd as that may seem. So because this isn't really satire because Bronson is made a hero. Uh, there is a lot of political commentary in here mm -hmm. uh, about a system that, you know, it's very much. Bronson's character is painted as I think his coworker calls him a bleeding heart liberal in the in the beginning of the film, and he, through the course of this tragedy that happens to him, he steps into that dark side where he kind of discovers the love of, of guns and justice, you know, street justice, mm -hmm. uh, because he figures that the system is going to take care of everything, but he realizes that the system is is irrevocably broken. And that's the movie's point of view, too. We get that scene with Vincent Gardenia as the the head police detective mm -hmm. talking to the mayor. And the mayor's like, you know, we don't want to make uh, a martyr out of this guy. We just want to want him to kind of go away. Uh, however, we get him off the streets. So they know where to go find him. They're just mm -hmm. not really going to do it. Uh, so there's all sorts of weird angles going on here. But as much as it's disturbing to watch, there's only one real difference between Paul Kersey and Batman, and that's that Batman doesn't kill. Bruce Wayne goes out every night on this war on crime mm -hmm. to exercise the demons that befell his family when he was a young kid. He'll put people in the hospital. He'll bring them close to death. He's probably killed people on accident. Yeah. But, you know, he's got this code like he doesn't kill people, but I'm sure he has. Uh, but it's like how uh, it's just a matter of degree mm -hmm. like but batman is a superhero he's in the justice league for crying out loud but <laughs> he is also a vigilante <laughs> so paul kersey is just like the non-colorful dc comics non-costumed version of batman he is batman yeah i had that impression while watching this too that he, he was he was batman with guns which they've done later on in other comics um you know and well, i think there was there was that big craze right after this with the paul Tuzzi. the paul <laughs> oh my god the paul Tuzzi. <laughs> oh i missed you glenn i missed you so what a paul Tuzzi. now i'm just imagining charles bronson with that stone face just going like this <laughs> you could probably make that happen. You could. You could probably put. Let's make a TikTok. There we go. We'll do it on a TikTok. And he's got his sidekick constantly going. But dad. <laughs> but dad. I. Yeah, it, it's an it's an unusual film. I mean, it's not it's not bad. It was just it was one of those things where I was kind of looking at trying to figure out. You know, well, what are are they just trying to do a message outside of a, a fantasy? And this is kind of a. Uh, urban crime version of pardon i'll bring it up again but it's a simple fact of red dawn in a sense uh uh but urban crime version in that it's an it's a revenge it's a fantasy film of of your common man who has been some training vet and then we're talking you know during they bring up vietnam as well and not just korea um you know so that's very hitting at that time when it comes out uh current yeah, Nam was still going on with uh, Nam was <laughs> still a year away from being over. Right. I mean, um, you know, they wouldn't. It'd be at least you know another year before Chuck Norris gets captured and uh, taken to the <laughs> camp. <laughs> you know, I mean, so that's where missing a death wish, missing an action crossover. Oh my god, I want that now. <laughs> <laughs> the double Chuck. Oh, anyway, Kersey, brought a Kersey, but I don't know, so is, is that just kind of this main purpose, Glenn, do you think is just is serving as kind of this fantasy for the time it comes out telling, you know, letting the common folk uh, imagine what it'd be like if one of them actually could just go out and uh, meticulously kill any crook that crosses their path? I mean, I, I, I think that's obviously it. I also think this is just the, you know, I mean, because it's not the first one like that. I mean, that's no. that's what Dirty Harry is, too. Right. So I think it's absolutely kind of that, you know, that that revenge fantasy for, you know, the fact is the world's going to shit and, and, and you know, it doesn't seem like anyone's doing anything. Oh, but some dude will just go out and just kill the bad guys because that's what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And I, I did like the fact that, I mean, it, it, you are right in in kind of the Batman superhero type metaphor because he's 
he starts empowering the people to fight back because we do get the news report of the old lady who I wish I, I, I got to look up her name because I've seen her in many places. I love her whenever uh, she shows up that the hairpin. Uh, yeah, she was the the old lady, uh, the grandma on 227. Yeah, the, that's the old yeah. Sitcom, yeah. <laughs> I loved her in 227. And when she showed up here, I'm like, eh, yeah, you know, and I could I'm like, I could see her uh, chasing bad guys with a hairpin. And then they they yeah. do that other, you know, you try not to you try not to say, well, area people from various areas, that stereotype is just overblown. Until they show the New York construction guy. Who, who, well, yeah, we saw, you know, Lou, he was up on the rafters and he said, oh, yeah, he saw someone get robbed. And so, you know, we chased the guy and, uh, you know, we roughed him up a bit. Uh, reports are he got two broken arms, broken ribs and a concussion. Oh, really? Well, he must have fell. <laughs> I'm, just yeah. like, I'm like, how cliche New York, you know, New Yorker could you get? Well, I mean, this, this this movie just deals completely in cliches, and I think it kind of <laughs> has to, because if you get beyond the cliche, then you start asking questions like, you know, is it okay that this guy is just going around shooting people? Uh, to Glenn's point, uh, what if this was their first mugging? What if they're kind of coerced into it? You know, that kind of a thing. Is there hope for reform? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if there's even if the system that would prosecute these folks is corrupt, uh what what about the people themselves you know are they could they be redeemed um so it's it's all sorts of questions that you're not really meant to ask in 1974 this is much more <laughs> enlightened perspective but i mean the key difference between this and, and dirty harry because glenn you're actually absolutely right dirty Harry is three years before this but dirty Harry was a cop right uh, this is very much the the street view it's like Man, if even the cops are going, you know, they have to go off the books. Like, what hope do you know a regular <laughs> New York <laughs> dwelling architect have? But I think they could have done something a bit more to make that connection between the Korean War vet uh, and the pacifist, essentially that Kersey had become. Because mm -hmm. uh, we're just meant to say, oh, that's why he's so good with guns. But I want to know more about the story, like what happened to him in the conflict to make him kind of swear that off and just go become a square. And well, did he have any PTSD or any of that stuff? Well, they use a title to describe him when he was over in Korea. I forgot what it was. Uh, like it was... It he was a, a, a commanding officer. Well, no, no, but they used a specific term. Like he was supposed to be a guy there who was supposed to be not promoting people getting killed because he was oh, part he was a of conscientious. Oh, he was a conscientious objector. CEO, conscientious objector. Ah, okay. I didn't know what that was, so I'm like, okay. see, I, I knew he was a conscientious. I just thought the CEO was also for a commanding officer because I thought they were talking about his rank or something. Okay, yeah, I got it. Yeah. So they, that's what they actually meant is that just he was the commanding officer or well, he was also a conscientious objector. I think there was yeah. some, yeah. it was very garbled. I have to go back and watch it again. Yeah. Well, no, that's I, what they, that's what they say. Yeah. I just didn't know what yeah. that was. So I was just like, okay, because it seemed like they, they, they said it with a little spit in their voice. Like, Oh, you were a conscious, conscientious objector. See, I can't even say the fucking word. Yeah, uh, cause I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, that was, it was equated to the, they didn't, they didn't believe that people did object for moral reasons. They thought they were cowards. Ah, I gotcha. You yeah. won't kill people? You're a coward. Right. Or I just don't want to kill people. Until, <laughs> That's until what... I do. And then I'm killing everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which is, you know, I found it interesting. I'm like, maybe they dropped in it because I'm like, wait, he's really good with guns. He's supposed to be a conscientious objector, which I get the impression meant. No guns or violence. Plus, he was part of a medical unit, which usually means you're trying to save people and not, you know, kill people. Um, <laughs> well, but I mean, so, you still get the training. So, well, yeah, that's true. Uh, there was that. Um, my God, I'm going to forget it, but I'm, I'm forgetting the title. But there is that Andrew Garfield movie that came out a few years ago. Uh, was directed by Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but yeah. that was the true story of a guy from I think it was World War Two. Uh, who saved like a whole bunch of people, but he was also, uh, you know, a pacifist, right. stuck in the middle of this war. Um, so yeah, it, it's possible that he got the training that he was really good at it. He just didn't want to use <laughs> those skills because he knew what it, what happened. But that's again, that's what I'm talking about. It, mm -hmm. Talking to you guys, it makes it even more frustrating because how do you get from being a conscientious objector to making that leap? 
Was well, it just that they, they attacked my family and now I just want to kill everybody? There's need, there needs to be a drinking buddy or an internal <laughs> model, like a narration or something, because I want to know what's going on in this guy's head. I don't get the character development just because he painted his apartment orange. <laughs> an, an eyesore orange, uh, in fact. And he... he plays music quite loud though speaking of music, yeah, music I, mean, I mean 70s people painted stuff ugly colors all the freaking time that's, that's true it's very true but <laughs> maybe they were trying to go for the angle of showing you how the act of what happened to his wife and daughter broke him and pushed him over the edge of going from conscientious objector to uh killing random thugs in the street uh which you know, I, I get the impression that he didn't want to find the guys. Almost. Hmm. In a sense, because... Or, I shouldn't say he didn't. The movie feels like they don't want him to find the guys. He's not even doesn't even seem like he's looking for them. Even though they mentioned, oh, well, he shops at the same grocery store that apparently the, the uh, attackers came from. I'm like, yeah, but... You would think he'd be looking for asking around or, you know, hey, you know, whatever. But he doesn't even do that. But I think if he does find the guys, that ends his motivation for killing random guys in the street. Well, but I, how would he know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah he, he wouldn't know. And that's almost like an idea for a sequel. I, I don't think I've seen the other movies, but it'd be funny if those same guys showed up in like part two and he accidentally ends up killing, <laughs> killing them. Just they get swept up in his reign of, you know, urban terror. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that that would have stopped him if he had caught mm. up with Goldblum and the others, because it feels because the movie doesn't make it about him hunting down these folks. It really do. I got the feeling that he was so caught up in the media attention on the crime it just like putting it in his face like this is happening all around you you don't care because you're living this fancy architect life and it you it can't touch you but now it is touching you and he's like well now i have to overreact to everything so everyone's gonna pay um <laughs> now I, I think there's there's a real good story in that this is based on a novel and i wonder if the mm -hmm. novel got more inside the character's head or is it just, you know, 200 pages of, you know, then I walked into the subway and I shot these other three people and three, <laughs> three pages of describing the guts on the floor. I don't know. I don't know. Glenn, did you read the book at all or? No, no, I, I didn't either. But yeah, I'd be interested to see if it was, you know, something inside his head and a little more motivation on on that. I mean, no, I mean, it's it's what it is. I mean, it's it's a decent urban fantasy revenge film uh he does eventually start to get too confident in his vigilantism he starts believing his own hype i think mm -hmm. uh, because he starts getting this uh immunity complex i think almost because the there's news articles and magazines about vigilantism all sparked from him and he gets a little too big for his britches doesn't he glenn yeah, he does. But, you know... He's, he's collecting his own press clippings and, and newspapers. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, and... and, and, oh, and, and oh, go ahead. I want to. I just want to point out, apparently in the book... Yeah. Um, first of all, he's a CPA, not an architect. Yep. But <laughs> he doesn't make his first kill uh, until the end, almost the end of the book. Really? Yeah. Well, Does he just like maim a bunch of people? And... <laughs> it's, it's, is he it's, Batman until the end? <laughs> it's it, the the period of the novel, as, as it's described here, was a meditation on the way violence twists and breaks people. Mm. So it was that that kind of like uh, you know he's just for most of the book he's just kind of like a man adrift, unsure of what he is and what he should do. Oh, so he was oh, more. Hell, I want to read that now. He was more of a Travis Bickle then type of guy. In mm. some respects, the, where he, he didn't break at first, he just saw the the scum of the city, uh, which, again, I had almost had an idea, a flashback of a Death Wish uh, taxi driver crossover when the first taxi driver taxi pulled up in New York crime. I looked at the driver like, wait, is that Bickle? Wait, mm -hmm. is it? <laughs> and then I'm, then my mind went off for a minute going, man, that would be wild if these two were in the same city. 
at the same time. Um, <laughs> you know what? You could cut like a weird little trailer together of like Travis Bickle driving and he's talking to like his fare and then you cut to the backseat of Kersey in the cab. <laughs> And then, like, in the bar, Kersey's watching TV, and it's, like, Chuck Norris being brought home from Vietnam. (laughs) (laughs) We are really building this uh, cinematic universe now. (laughs) Hey, Chuck, this this Chuck does take his shirt off, too. So let's just put it that way, which, you know. It opens with, I had forgotten the opening of this movie. It's like the weird Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii and it's all this ideal, idyllic photography with Hope Lang on the beach. And then it's like, uh, Dino De Laurentiis presents. I'm like, wait, are they going to actually put Death Wish over this <laughs> Hawaii vacation? But no, they wait till they get to New York. They style. wait till they get to New York before they they post <laughs> that it's actual Death Wish. Well, yeah, because they want to show you how happy of a couple they are before the nasty. They want to show you every single mundane thing they do in their lives, down to <laughs> checking their fucking mail. <laughs> <laughs> At least it was in a montage. At least it was in a montage, but yes. Well, yeah, because they, they had to list every single person who worked in the movie because, you know, we, we got to know who the caterer was <laughs> in the opening credits. Well, let's talk about these credits. Uh, the strangest credits ever because, uh, okay, let's talk about the people who get credited in the opening of this movie. Olympia Dukakis, who just died last week, mm-hmm. RIP. Christopher Guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Herbie Hancock did the store, the score. Yep. Um, and then there's people who don't get credited. Paul Dooley <laughs> as one of the as one of the beat cops. Um, and uh, let's see. OK, yeah. So Christopher Guest, he got credited. He was literally in a scene at the end, end of, the of the movie for like two minutes. And Jeff Goldblum, who was in a few scenes at the beginning of this movie and was integral to the plot, not even mentioned. What? Yeah. Well, that's what was funny is the credits were rolling. I'm like, okay. And then uh, we get the grocery scene and the uh, gang members, which <laughs> I love. I love 70s and early 80s gang members. Uh, I grew up in the. I grew up in <laughs> in, in the movies. In, in the I movies. Think. Yes. Because yeah, I grew up <laughs> in Milwaukee in urban areas. I, I've seen actual gang members, and they're. I mean, unless they were dressing, you know, showing their colors, but even still, they kind of just looked like normal people with, with you know, f- maybe some flashier clothes. They they don't have a wicked laugh and look like some kind of, as you mentioned, Batman villains, but <laughs> they're in the grocery store and Jeff Goldblum and his two hanger-ons uh, are in there and I'm just like, bad guys. It's it just like... <laughs> Like and the whole town's like full of these these flashy villains. I'm like they aren't even hiding, and I'm like, how do you not think they're suspects? I mean, did they go completely underground after what they did to the ladies? Which I wouldn't think they would. I'm like, just in general, you would think the cops would maybe round up your usual suspects. And looking at Greasy Goldblum, that guy right there is guilty of something. <laughs> but uh, he's guilty of some terrible delivery i mean i know we're talking about the great jeff goldblum but when he says uh don't jive mother you know what we want <laughs> he said it in the whitest whitest way and was possible he, and was he also related to the curses because he did call her mother too <laughs> <laughs> well that's, um, that's just, just you know yeah it's it's a close-knit neighborhood I well, like I, I just love I love the ease with which they found her apartment. Well, yeah, I mean, because there was just an address. It was it wasn't yeah. it, it wasn't even the apartment number because the way these guys aren't even nonchalant about it. She has well, they sprinted in. And... Well, I mean, she she has a box of veg of groceries, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at that going. You and your daughter could carry the fucking bags. I don't care if you are an architect's wife. You mean you're having that small box of groceries delivered to your apartment and they leave the address in the box. So the guy's just, oh, that's where we're going. And yeah, they go into the apartment and manage to guess which door they're in. Because it's not like they're following them well, I mean, into the apartment. And, you know. Gang members find a way. <laughs> so, 
they they did but it i mean i don't remember seeing an apartment number on the slip of paper at all i just remember seeing an address and maybe i missed the 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 number but yeah it was rather easy for them to find it and then you know they they come they they it's the 70s so whatever heinous act we have it has to be extremely brutal it also has to be that so it justifies our man uh going on his killing spree though he goes on his killing spree as mentioned before not looking for the guys responsible he just decides oh you know Shooting fish in a barrel. One of these guys may have been it eventually. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the the weird thing is, I, I made a joke about Clockwork Orange earlier, but that the rape scene in that movie is all over the rape yeah. scene in Death Wish. I mean, down to some of the angles. Right. The weird thing is, is the Death Wish scene is meant strictly to get the audience uh, on board with hating these uh, these characters and right. wanting to see Paul Kersey's revenge. Kersey isn't there to see it. He just gets the story from, you know, his wife was attacked, his daughter was attacked. Mm -hmm. But in A Clockwork Orange, it's the old uh, wealthy guy who's, you know, home with his wife when the attack happens. So when he comes back at the end, you understand that he knows the severity of what was done to his family and you can understand you're on board with it. This and that that was kind of an exploitative and shocking scene, you know, when that came out. This is exploitative and shocking, but without the narrative or artistic uh, <laughs> qualifications that keep it from just being like this is ooky well, exploitation. Down to spraying the 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 butt the the girl's ass red with the spray paint and and demeaning her that way too. It's just it was just ugly. Well, I guess for me, I mean, I understand again the whole setup, and I think that's somewhat of the issue i had with well there are a number of things i had with the scene but it was definitely that is just the fact of okay we get it the crime was severe enough they 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 go a little far to where at one point it just felt like it was tossed in there just for the exploitative manner i mean we didn't need to see jeff goldblum's butt okay the 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 thing was they we didn't need, we didn't not need to see well it. that's true i mean it is you know it, it's a yeah anyway jeff, Gold, jeff it was, goldbum it was impressive but um the scene it was like it felt almost random because these guys were in there mostly to at least you get the feeling that they were mostly in there to steal money okay there was much money in there so they decide to get violent because they're angry there's they've done this act and there's not enough money in there you know um, and they had done enough to demean the daughter and, and Dan, you know, uh, uh, hurt the wife enough to where you figure she's going to die. At least you, you didn't need the sex act in there to get the idea across that this is a severe act that was going to spark Kersey. And I felt that the, because it almost felt like forced or insert because at one point you think they're going to leave. And then Goldblum's like, no, wait. And he pulls his pants down. And he's like, I'm going to, I'm like, wait. What, you just had this idea on your way out the door? I'm like, and you don't need to do that because she's already been abused, humiliated, clothing ripped. You know, it was one of those where I felt it didn't need to go quite that far. And I'm not a prude by any means, but I'm just like, you got the idea across. Did we did we need that extra, you know, stuff? Well, and I... I'm there with you, but my the thing that took me out of the movie, uh, aside from the whole like dad thing, was in the middle of committing this heinous crime. I'm gonna get graphic here, folks. Uh, Goblin pulls down his pants so that this girl that he's been assaulting and that his friends have been assaulting can perform on him. Yes. Is that the smartest move when it's not consensual? Because if she's driven half out of her mind by this assault, uh, she's got teeth. Well, I was fully waiting for the whole uh, uh, house at, you know, the last house on the left angle with this (laughs) at the point. Because I'm like that because that was another thing, too, with this whole act. It's like it just felt like it was specifically put in there really no other reason but just for this one shock exploitative manner mm-hmm. when it wasn't needed and again i i understand why they went that far but they didn't have to they got their point across i mean if she was comatose even without the sexual assault you would understand why she was like 
fit, you know? Uh, it, and I just, I don't, you know, I, and then people will say, well, what about Last House on the Left? I'm like, well, you could almost say that as well, but that's. Uh, well, Last House know. on the Left was, uh, I feel like Death Wish is a statement movie. Right. That is also exploitation. Last House on the Left is pure, you know, violent exploitation. Right. right? It's it's a low rent, disgusting movie that's made to shock and put asses in seats at the drive in. Um, so you have two different you know reasons for these movies existing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's true. But the, the thing is, like, there is I think Death Wish with another pass of the screenplay uh, could have really been something special instead of just these kind of random ideas planted throughout i like the idea that the the one thing i think the son-in-law does in this script is as kersey is going on this rampage and he's you know cleaning up his life and you know finding purpose again painting his apartment orange he's like uh talking about carol and bronson as a as an actor and also paul kersey as a character is getting further and further removed Mm -hmm. because his daughter's in a sanitarium his wife's in the ground so this mission really has become his reason for being. It's almost like the inciting incident doesn't matter anymore. There's no mm-hmm. connection between his wife and daughter and the acts that he's doing by the end of the film, which I think is something really cool to explore. But, you know, they don't really do anything with it <laughs> at all. Not really. Yeah, but two years later, he gets a rocket launcher. So, <laughs> oh, you made him spit take. Yeah. Almost spoil. I, well, it's a spoiler room. Shush, we haven't gotten to these yet. We haven't. Oh, gotten, you got that one too. We All haven't right. gotten to the. Yeah, case. yeah, yeah. We'll get there. We'll, but... we'll get there. But no, you're <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, it is. It is the urban fantasy. Uh, you know, revenge. It is vigilante. It's the Batman. They they're making him into a superhero. This guy is kind of like. I don't know when the Punisher came out, but this guy is like pre Punisher. Uh, or you know, like a like almost like a Punisher. I want to say they're they're pretty close in terms of. Yeah, I, I I'm not versed as you guys are in in comics by any means, so I will not go on record. Um, but he did feel a kind of a bit like a castle almost. Oh, dude, huh. 1974. Oh, yep, yeah. All right. You, you know, so I he kind of feels I mean as far as you know, you got the sim- kind of a similar motivation um you know it, it, with his character and the way he goes about it. I, it just I I was getting I was getting Punisher vibes as well <laughs> from Kersey. I would love to see uh, <laughs> to have seen Charles Bronson in that skull uh you know outfit. <laughs> Cuz he was looking pretty badass by the end when he's walking around in all black with the coat and everything and you know I wasn't really behind him in his mission or anything but uh he had the look down at least. I I think for me what was tough for me to get behind him was the fact that he was baiting the crooks for no other reason than to kill them. I was hoping maybe he was baiting them and then he'd like either shoot him in a leg or something. Again, it goes back to the motivation of finding the guys. I guess for me, that was the one piece that was missing. I didn't, I, I, on the whole, I can see the, uh, this movie I, I think was fine. I was, you know, I enjoyed seeing Charles Bronson be a badass, but at the same time, I was having a real problem and I was trying to just do escapism as well, but finding a real problem to his true, you know, his, his his goal with just killing people you know because he was baiting people the guy literally is in a high crime area he whips out the old pocketbook in front of the prostitute who yeah she's a prostitute folks uh and he (laughs) he opens up and he purposely fans out the hundred dollar bills like ooh, look what i got just to bait the crooks and I'm like, oh, okay. And then he's going to injure the guys and ask about, you know, who, you know, does, you know. I was kind of hoping he had a little more motivation than just killing the people. I guess that's what was missing for me. The only thing missing for me with this film was his just killing spree to kill out the bad guys. On one hand, yeah, I mean, it, it's it makes for an interesting film. But on the other hand, I I wanted, I guess, a little bit more goal orientation from my 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 crook killer i mean is that too much am i way off on this it just felt yeah no i I think you're right 
right on there. I think the the movie is mistitled. I think just call it Vigilante because <laughs> yeah. death, death Wish doesn't make any sense to me. It, does Charles Bronson have a death wish because his you know family has been killed and he's going out and he's just an architect who knows how to shoot a gun? Does he have a death wish in that he's going up against you know New York criminals? Do the New York New York criminals have a death wish because? They messed with the wrong guy and now they're you know all going to be killed. It just, again, you got to get more in the heads of somebody in this movie to figure out what the hell the title is even supposed to mean. Because I feel like if it's a guy who goes off the deep end <clears throat> with nothing to lose, kind of like the Punisher and he just it's a one man war on crime. You can call that movie Death Wish because he doesn't <laughs> care if he comes back or not. He doesn't care about covering his tracks. He'll just go out, shoot people and just like walk calmly down the street. Well, I mean, he does kind of I, I can kind of see the death wish angle because he's just facing these punks like out in the open and doesn't seem to care that they might have a gun or a knife doesn't matter to him. So maybe that's the death. That's wish. not wishing for that's not wishing for death. Maybe uh, it's kill wish like he he's <laughs> he's wishing that he could kill somebody when he well, goes out at night. <laughs> Well, I mean, the term death wish, though, I've heard it used, you know, you've heard it many times. I've heard it used in other films. What do you got a death wish? You know, when guys go on a suicide mission type of thing. So maybe, the, you know, going at right. that angle, he doesn't deliberately want to die. But, hey, he's just going to do this thing. And if he dies. But that, that's uh, sort of my point. He wants mm -hmm. to go out and kill people. It's not like you don't get the sense that he doesn't care if he lives or dies. You know, he gets a taste for it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned how much he's smiling during this movie, and particularly that that closing shot of him when he goes <laughs> to Chicago. I did. That was the one bit of invention that I liked about the remake is it actually takes place in Chicago. And at the end, he goes to New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. yeah, they're, they're totally making it different. Um, yeah, actually, the Bruce Willis character in the remake uh, lives in Evanston, Illinois, which is <laughs> pretty much where I live. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So you, are you saying that you're the new Kersey then, huh? You're secretly saying you're Kersey now. I get it. No, no uh, secret about it. I, uh, I have a death wish <laughs> and I'm announcing it here. You better watch out. Okay. It's, uh, well, make, Just kidding. Make sure you catch it on TikTok. Uh, that shit will go viral. Um, <laughs> what about you, Glenn? Do you think wish talk. <laughs> wish talk. Uh, death talk. Uh, do you think, you think death wish is an appropriate title for this, Glenn? Does he have a death wish or? No, he does not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been blathering about this for 10 minutes. And Glenn yeah, just comes Glenn, in with the, with, as the referee. He like. Just, just <laughs> no. drops these seeds of wisdom. That's why I love Glenn. It's like everybody else we're talking and talking and just like, no, he doesn't. What the fuck are you guys talking about, man? <laughs> he, he's, he doesn't have a death wish. He's He's got uh, blood thirst he i think he's got bloodlust bloodlust yeah hey there you go bloodlust that would be uh maybe well that'd be then maybe or, that'd be about uh, like necromancy or something. <laughs> yeah yeah that's true they might think <laughs> well he, i mean i mean if you, if you think about it too i mean i mean it's not like the newspapers had any creativity in this movie either they just called them the vigilante that's it yeah no one they came up <laughs> i mean i mean i can't imagine like Normally, like, you know, they come up with great names for stuff. You know, I have like the Zodiac Killer and all this stuff. No, this is just Vigilante. Yeah. It's like if there had been like some massive robbing spree, they just call the guy the robber. robber. <laughs> here's, here's FBI's most wanted. We had Vigilante, the robber, <laughs> Jay Walker. It's like great value. You call like the. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, call like the caliber killer or something like that. <laughs> yeah. No, the titles, yeah. The, the titles in Death Wish are just like great value comic book characters. It's like the robber, <laughs> the vigilante, <laughs> the mugger master, the mugger, the mugger, the mugger fucker, the mugger fucker, <laughs> the mugger fucker. That would only work if he stuck his gun up their butt and then shot him. Yeah, Boom. that's true. And that, isn't, that, isn't that buckwheat, though? Don't they call that getting a buckwheat? Or never mind, a uh, different movie. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I want to know what that movie is. <laughs> no, but yeah, Death Wish. Uh, <laughs> so, 
sorry. Let's see. Do I have a book I can read? Glenn's <laughs> <laughs> looking for a palate cleanser now. Uh, he's like, oh, shit. What did I get myself back into? No, uh, I. You know, the one thing that got, caught me with this, uh, and we'll, we'll wrap it up, but it's just the who's the police captain or whatever who's in charge of this. On one hand, you get the feeling like he does actually want to catch the guy. On the other hand, you get the feeling he's just doing whatever. Is he like just a stone's throw away from retirement? They don't really say it, but don't you get the feeling like this guy just, he 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 wants this case to be done? <laughs> He's got no, he doesn't seem to really, he, he really goes about it lackadaisically. And apparently in the seventies, you don't need a warrant uh, to. Well, that, that's the interesting thing is because he's kind of doing his own vigilante justice where he just goes into Paul Kersey's apartment. He's rifling through stuff. You know, if, if they ever did bring him in be like, how did you get this information? <laughs> like, it's not going to hold up in court. Well, that's what I had in my thought too, because he, he gets the, he gets the uh, doorbell. I mean, first off, all he does is flash a badge. He doesn't say he has a warrant or anything. We're just cops. And then the doorman lets him in. And then he gets the 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 uh, maintenance guy to just let him in someone's apartment. It's like, okay. And then while he's in there, yeah, he's rifling through things. But he's not really rifling well. He's looking for candy, it looks like, because he finds a piece of candy and he chews on it. <laughs> but I'm just thinking to myself, if he did find evidence... You've got no warrant. You really don't have a probable cause yet because you don't have your blood match. So it's like, if this actually did go to court, would it even stand? Would Kersey get off? Uh, well, he would get off because he's the mugger fucker, as we've established. <laughs> but no, um, <laughs> what I loved, and Herbie Hancock's score is pretty great throughout oh, yeah. this movie. I love the movie. But, yeah. but. There is a choice here that just drove me up the wall because this movie kind of strays into comedy a, a little bit. Mm -hmm. When the detective is in Kersey's apartment, he's rifling through the newspapers. He picks up a copy of People magazine that has his face on it. <laughs> this local Chicago detective got on the cover of People magazine. And when he picks it up, there's like this wah, wah. Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? What's going on yeah. here? No, I, I think I think this guy, uh, he believed in law and order. He was stuck, you know, trying to solve a thousand, you know, mugging cases in a city that's just like doesn't care and is full of crime. He comes across this guy who's helping to bring the crime rate down, but he's doing it outside the law. So he's in a frustrating position. I think uh, within about nine years, he's going to retire, uh, you know, uh, to a little flower shop. Uh, <laughs> he's going to encounter a little guy named Seymour who's going to bring a plant in to, to <laughs> make all his dreams come true. Down, down on Skid Row. Yeah, yes. Down on Skid mm -hmm. Row. And so eventually our detective, uh, our captain eventually retires, opens up a shop on Skid Row and becomes plant food. Okay. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. But he doesn't, but he doesn't actually die because he later on has a kid that becomes a slumlord just like him. Oh yeah. What is that in reference to? <laughs> The super, yeah. What with Joe Pesci? Yeah, he plays Joe Pesci's dad. Oh my! I haven't seen that movie in twenty years. <laughs> wow. I also thought it was great that an actor named Gardenia is in Little Shop of Horrors. That just yes. some, seemed almost like stunt casting. <laughs> it does seem like. Stunt. And oh, and Christopher Guest was in that movie. Yeah. Oh my God! Wow, we've got a little shop of horrors <laughs> death wish crossover here, along with missing in action and <laughs> yeah, Christopher Guest. His character got tired of being a cop who was asked to compromise his principles, so he just becomes a collector of curios. Oh, my, what an interesting plant you have! <laughs> We're gonna make this happen, it's, guys. It's in New York, so I mean, we've got we've got this, you know. <laughs> And I'm, I'm pretty sure the plan was played by Freddie Boom Boom Washington. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. And on that note. <laughs> Feed me, Mr. Cotter. <laughs> Feed me, welcome, Cotter. Welcome back, Audrey, too. <laughs> Feed me all that long. Mr. Cotter. Um, anyway. Mr. Cotter. Mr. Cotter. Uh, eating people. Yeah, Ooh, that uh, plant. Where? 
<laughs> Over there. What? Wow. Oh yeah, Death Wish. Um There's your theme for next for next month. Welcome back, Cotter. <laughs> welcome All back. Welcome back, Canon. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back, Canon. Ooh. <laughs> uh, this is turning into a canon year. Uh, <laughs> I think we will wrap it up. Uh, not a, a deep film, an interesting film, what they were going for. And yeah, it put it it really brought uh Mr. Uh, uh Chuck. Mr. Charles Bronson to the forefront. I mean, he already was known, but really this is when you say Charles Bronson, most people immediately think Death Wish. I mean, mm-hmm. they just yeah. I mean, never mind the westerns and such. No, you say Charles Bronson like, "Oh, Death Wish." There you go. Uh <laughs> so this is the film that kind of kicks it off, but uh even though they leave it for a sequel, I don't think there was ever a plan for a sequel until Canon came along. But that's for next week. There's a whole dun, dun, dun. there's a whole chapter. To the rescue. There's a whole chapter of those three movies in here. Uh, nice. So I gotta read that up on that. But so I guess we'll just go with your final thought with Death Wish, uh, Glenn. Your final thought with Death Wish, and and is this film? I mean, a lot of people consider it this classic urban crime film. Uh, what what's your final thought with it? Eh. I mean, I mean, if you never watch this, your life is not really any worse off. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I mean, I mean, because even even just in the, the genre of like 70s type, you know, violent crime movies, it's not even that spectacular. Mm-hmm. And as, as we've shown, it's just he's just kind of. I mean, he's not really a hero and he's not really anything. He's just a, just wandering aimlessly killing people. Yeah, with a lot of ammo, apparently. Uh, <laughs> he goes through a lot of ammo, which I don't remember seeing in that box, so he had to buy it from somewhere. Oh, the so, box is like the TARDIS, you know? It's oh, just yeah. like, it just... You open it up and just endless supply of bullets. bullets. <laughs> and so it's, it's like those cans of peanuts, you know, the fake can of oh. peanuts. You just open it up and bullets just keep popping out. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a snake can, only with with bullets. Yeah, yeah you just, don't open up that can. <laughs> you just point day. it away from you. Point it away from you. Uh, Ian, what about you with your final thought? I appreciate you one uh, wanting to talk about it again, even though you you had a few years ago. But uh, your final thoughts has it changed at all since you first watched it? Or uh... you know, here's the weird thing: I think it's a function of me getting older and watching too many movies because. I feel like I had, and I have to go back and listen to my conversation from a few years ago. I remember liking it more then mm-hmm. than I do now. I just feel like I'm thinking about it differently, like the the crime and and just the way Kersey carries out his mission just rubs me the wrong way more now than it did then. Um, and also, I think I watched Death Wish two at that time, but I honestly cannot remember anything about it or if I even did watch it. So <laughs> next week is going to be a lot of fun. So that's going to be a trip down memory lane or a first time viewing. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say it's going to be like you watched it for the first time all over again. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so yeah, and I'm the same. You know, I mean, it's one of those where it's watchable. Sure, I mean, just for for what it is, you know, the kind of the urban crime thing and seeing all the people in it, I just couldn't believe all the people that end up showing up in this this film as just little minor one-off characters, one-scene characters. But in the end, yeah, I was like, it it, it had that potential, but it, it's just, it, it's lacking a little something with the Kersey character, and it's not Bronson's acting, uh, though, you know, I mean, he does show a little emotion in here. It just, it, you know, it, it's kind of equivalent to, to uh, uh, Chuck Norris, the other Chuck, uh, his uh, his acting of emotion uh, that we saw in in uh, missing in action to uh, one, you know, which was two, but one. But sorry, one thing I, I wanted it to sneak in here before mm. I left because I just looked this up because uh, it struck me. I'm like, that can't be her. It is. Did you recognize the checkout girl in that opening grocery store scene? I, I saw remember the face. I don't remember uh, the name of the person, but I the face looked familiar. Actress's name is Sonia Manzano, otherwise known as Maria from Sesame Street. <laughs> which is in New York. Yeah. Which 
<laughs> now I got Big Bird as Paul Kersey. Okay, it's been a long day. Uh, <laughs> no, I think Snuffleupagus looks more like Paul Kersey. I want to see, yeah, but, and he's got more of that sad sack kind of thing. I want to see him going on a killing spree. Yeah, but it'd be kind of hard to hold that gun with his trunk, though. I mean, you know. <laughs> Oscar, I'm taking out the trash. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Today's one of these bullets is not like the other. One of these bullets is not the same. On gun bullets. Bullets. Today's today's episode. Today's episode was brought to you by the letter D and the letter W. And the number six, like the revolver. <laughs> and there you have it, folks. Death Wish. We've created this huge cinematic universe around Death Wish. Uh, I, someone needs to cut a trailer of that together. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And yeah, not. Uh, <laughs> now it's just coming up with all kinds of things, you know, Bert and Ernie. <laughs> Bert, Bert is the Jeff Goldblum character in Ernie. <laughs> Shooting the people in your neighborhood. <laughs> you make murder lots of fun. <laughs> 34 caliber. I want to be one with you. And now that we've corrupted Sesame Street and cemented our place in hell, now's our time for a license to shill for my guests. So, uh, Ian, go ahead, sir. You first. Uh, shill away. Well, thank you. Uh, oh. I'm Ian Simmons. I'm the proprietor of Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com. You can also find me on YouTube uh, at Kicking the Seat. I put out a bunch of videos each week. Uh, this week, I'm actually putting out three filmmaker interviews, which is all very exciting. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, I usually I have some kind of a Friday live stream to plug, but we're not doing those anymore, at least not until Loki in June. So yeah, mm. taking some time off. But uh, yeah, always fun. Please come over, check stuff out. And also, I'm here every Tuesday talking canon films and kevin bacon and god knows what else here with mark and it's always great to be here well we appreciate it sir we also appreciate the bfd showing up again sir you got anything to plug please you can plug away whatever you want nothing <laughs> I, got no, I got nothing to plug right now i mean if you want to listen to my dungeon and dragons tips you can find me on tiktok that's about it and, and he's got this wonderful character he plays on TikTok as well, which I, I love. Uh, if I ever shoot a fantasy movie, he's got to be in it. So, uh, <laughs> Niebold. Uh, so, there you have it, folks. Thank you so much for listening to that. We'll just say uh, good night, everyone. <laughs> good night. Hey everyone, we hope you enjoyed our show. If you would like to get access to exclusive Spoiler Room content, stop on by our Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you will get access to VIP episodes, hear the discussions we have before our episodes, and a whole lot more. With your support, we can continue to provide the quality content you've come to expect. Thank you again for listening to The Spoiler Room, where the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies. 